When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 18 and it is draft week. Finally, we made it. Can't believe it. It's finally here. The Seattle Kraken have a have a roster now. There weren't side deals. There weren't a lot of draft picks exchanged and none at this point as we record it, but there could be trades to come later. But the Kraken do have the number two pick in the draft and uh, I had all these plans for the Seattle Kraken instant draft reaction after seeing what happened with the Vegas Golden Knights and seeing the number of side deals that they were able to get to, to, to make teams. You know, if you want to keep this player, you're going to have to give up quite a bit. And to me, it sounds like Ron Francis had his price and he wasn't going to budge. And if he didn't do that, he was going to just take who they wanted. And there were a lot of players where I think, you know, you, you scratch your head a bit and you say, why did they take that guy and not this guy? A lot of things like that. But I think the way the roster was built, I mean, it's, it, you know, we, we look at it and you just, you can't in an expansion draft. I don't think you can take the best player available like you would in a regular draft. You're, you're looking at positional needs. You're looking at team fit. You're looking at all those different things. And obviously, um, this is a roster that, when you look at it on paper, doesn't necessarily look like a, a a lock for the playoffs. But they have a really good decor. They have some some talent up front. They have some depth. They have a good base to start some of their AHL roster with, with some of the guys that they selected. They have cap space to go after free agents as well, and of course they have that number two overall pick, which puts them in a position to land a player that that could help them sooner than later, possibly as early as next season, but more likely the season after that. So, uh, but welcome to the NHL Seattle Kraken. It was interesting to watch the, uh, the, the, the expansion draft. We saw our pal Frank Saravalli, uh, uh, reporting the heck out of it the day of, I've now nicknamed him silver scoops. That's hashtag silver scoops for the silver haired millennial. Uh, and Frank did a great job of, of giving us a lot of information, but I, th- I think the biggest surprise remains that there were no side deals done, and that was what I was hoping for, just because I think that it adds a little bit of drama, and it certainly adds a wrinkle to the draft, uh, the the NHL draft, the, the amateur draft that we have coming up on Friday, so since the draft is looming, and since we had the Kraken go, I, I wanted to, to do one last podcast before the draft happens. I, I solicited questions on Twitter, and, and I got some from subscribers in the comments as well on on, on Hockey Sense, on Substack. And uh, I did also want to just 
talk a little bit about some of the things that I've been hearing, some of the news and notes. Um, if you do read Hockey Sense on Substack, you'll see have seen some of this on my draft preview. But there's also a lot of content coming up. So if you're listening to this before the draft, there is going to be instant analysis, live analysis on Hockey Sense. That's hockeysense.substack.com. And it will be free. On the night of the draft, there will be things that are free. There will be other pieces that are on the premium side. So I do recommend if you want the full draft analysis that I can offer on draft night this weekend, then subscribe to Hockey Sense on Substack. It's hockeysense.substack.com or chrispetershockey.com. $6 a month and you will get access to everything on the site. Otherwise, you can go for, you know, if you like what you see, $54 for an annual subscription saves you three months off of that monthly rate. And the website is entirely subscriber supported. Everything that I've been able to do has largely been thanks to my subscribers. And uh, I will be continuing my coverage of the draft from Plymouth, Michigan, where I will be at the World Junior Summer Showcase. So 2022 draft season starts very quickly after this. And also we'll be doing a lot of post analysis of, of the most recent draftees because the U S will have a large roster there. Sweden and Finland will have players there and they're going to be guys like Jesper Wallstedt, uh, Fabian Lasselle, Isaac Rosen, uh, Samu Tuomala, Aturatu, um, a lot of Americans, obviously Sasha Postajov and, and Beniers is invited, but not able to, to be there. Manny Beniers, who's likely to be a, a top three pick in this draft. Um, and, and you, you just, there are so many great players that are going to be there. And then for the following year's draft there, you know, I think one of the real interesting guys on team USA is Logan Cooley and we'll have some others as well, but, uh, a lot happening right now. So definitely subscribe. I'll be covering that tournament. Uh, I will be broadcasting it for hockey TV, but we'll also be writing off of what I see there for hockey sense. So it's really never been a better time, but as I did mention before, the night of the first round, I will have live instant analysis of every single pick. So you'll get a mini scouting report on the player, and you'll also get a little bit of analysis on the team fit and kind of uh, NHL timeline and things like that. So it's 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 a nugget of information. And then after the draft, I'll be doing a full recap with a lot more kind of in-depth looks. Who you know? Who are good value picks? Who are the risky picks? Who are the the reaches and things like that? So you'll be able to get that as a subscriber, but you don't need to subscribe to get to the instant draft analysis. So if you're a fan of this podcast and you want to see what Hockey Sense on Substack, the written element, is all about, this is going to be a great weekend to do that because I will be having some free content for you on there, and then also a lot more on the premium side, including things like draft grades. Um, you know, the instant analysis, the winners and losers, those types of things that'll come after. So I do hope you will check that out. So since it is a pre-draft episode, I got a lot of questions. I also wanted to talk about some of the things that, that you know, are, are popping up that I think is notable. Um, you know, this is always a big week in 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 the draft world. And, you know, I talk to scouts. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get as much as I can. We're building mock drafts, which will be up on hockey sense. Um, probably before you even listen to this podcast. So make sure to check that out. If you want to see my final guess at what will happen. But, you know, I think that it's really difficult to get any sense of, of, of information, um, that's, that's both accurate and, uh, you know, not, not a smokescreen. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of press conferences are being uh, given on Thursday, by general managers, their directors of scouting, and you start, you know, kind of trying to piece together some of the things that they're saying. But most of what they say publicly, you have to take with a grain of salt because the draft is such some of the most highly guarded information 
um, in terms of who's going to be available where. I think every every single team, though, the mock drafts that we do, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to get a sense of where they think players will go. And so sometimes that that kind of just helps them in their last little bit of preparation as their their you know their lists are finalized for the most part. But now they they want to see what what's available there. So um, I do want to give you a little bit of, of info throughout today's episode about some of the different things that I've I've been hearing, but also the things that I believe to be true and and certain things that I think uh, could happen. So. I'm excited about where things are going right now for for this draft. I think that one of the things that that did happen this week, and you you may recall from his his recent, well not that recent anymore. Back in February when I started this podcast, Bob McKenzie was my first guest, and he put his his uh, pre draft list out. Um, and anytime that comes out, every NHL team and scouting staff is looking at that list because it's giving them an idea from a collection of professionals in the industry, professional scouts, where it's a, it's, it's essentially a survey of their opinions where a larger consensus is on certain players. And so that is why it's such a valuable tool to teams, but also to people, to the media, to me, you know, I use it in my work when I'm building my last mock drafts. I mean, you know, I, there's plenty of information that comes out of that that maybe I hadn't anticipated. And it also allows you to step outside of your own list because, uh, you know, when we're making mock drafts, we have these opinions about players and, and where we think they should go. But that doesn't necessarily always match with where NHL teams feel they should go. And I think that that has borne itself out um, quite often. So I, I think that, you know, this year's list, the things that I wanted to mention on the podcast today is I think that there were a couple things learned from it. And one of the things that I think was most important to learn was looking at that top of the list. And at the top of the list, I think obviously Owen Power is there. He's a consensus. All 10 guys that 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 McKenzie interviewed said that Power's number one. The, the, the way it came out, the, the consensus went away at number two, which I thought was really interesting. Matty Beniers ended up getting enough votes to be that number two guy, but Simon Edvinson was third. William Eklund is, and, and Macy McTavish were tied for fourth. And then Dylan Gunther, Brant Clark, Luke Hughes, Kent Johnson, Chaz Lucius, Cole Sillinger, Jesper Wallstedt. That's the top 12. And I do think that that 12 is where the consensus has kind of... Uh, encapsulated and and where I think that in some order with the only potential of maybe you know uh, the goaltending situation being different I think that's the order that we'll see that not not the order but those are the 12 players that I think will go in the first 12 picks I think that the, the industry has largely circled around those guys the only thing that can change that is does a goalie go higher? Does that change the dynamic for teams in the later portion of that that top of the first round? But you look in the lottery range, and I feel like that most of the same players end up in the lottery. You might see Fedor Svechkov up a little bit higher in some, Fabian Lucell and others. Sebastian Kosa might be ahead of Jesper Wallstedt for some teams and is ahead for some teams. Some teams might have less worries about Carson Lambeau. So those are the types of things that I think were really interesting when it comes out of the list. And and certainly Simon Edvinson being the number three guy based on McKenzie's list and his reporting suggests that there's really no consensus for that number two spot. 
you know, I think Edvinson is a guy that could go quite high um, and and make a make a significant impact, um, you know, down the road. But I think that he's more of an upside play as opposed to, you know, a guy that you're getting a surefire top four defenseman. He certainly is trending in that direction, but it's no guarantee there. So I did want to bring make mention of Bob McKenzie's notes. And remember, you can always go back into the archive, which is available on wherever you get your podcast. Go to the list, go to our first episode. And Bob McKenzie talks a lot about how he builds this list, how it's changed over the years, how it impacts how NHL teams think and, and, and what he's heard from scouts. So it, it is an evergreen episode. So go back and check that out and you can see uh, all about what Bob does. And also, of course, go to tsn.ca to see Bob McKenzie's final rankings. And I will also say it'll be personally a little disappointing for me to not see Bob McKenzie on the TV this year. He will not be part of the televised draft coverage. Um, now that NBC is going to be busy with the Olympics, they, they relinquish those rights over to ESPN. So ESPN will have that and they will be sharing the broadcast with Sportsnet. So you'll see a couple of other former guests on this podcast. John Butchergrass will be the host. Uh, you'll also hear from Elliot Friedman, who was on not that long ago. My good friend Emily Kaplan, who was also a prior guest, she will be reporting from Columbus, who has three first-round draft picks in this first year, or this the first round this year. So that's who you get. And then Sam Costantino from Sportsnet will also be the draft analyst on that staff. One of the other big pieces of news throughout the last week regarding the NHL draft has been the story involving Logan Mayu. And uh, and he's a, a talented defenseman who was probably going to go quite early in the draft. However, Mayo is asking NHL teams not to select him. And if you don't know why, well, we, we did address it more in depth on Hockey Sense, but I did want to make mention of it here. Um, as DailyFaceOff.com reported, Frank Saravalli reported um, first, you know, Mayo had a had a criminal charge while playing in Sweden. Um, he had uh, taken photographs of a woman and, and and himself engaged in a sexual act that was take that picture was taken without the woman's permission and it was also disseminated over Snapchat, which um, led to Mayu being fined by uh, by the authorities there. Um, he did remain with the team. He continued to play there through February. The incident happened in November. Teams were aware of it. I wasn't aware of it until not the details. I was I was not aware of that until um, uh, Sarah Valley's report came out, and so I had Mayu ninety fifth on my board, um, but I have since removed him, and and you know I think that he he will not be drafted. But as I mentioned, Mayu renounced himself from the draft, which is kind of you can't technically do that. <laughs> um, I mean, he can tell teams not to draft him. I think that was the right move for him, you know, and I think that a lot of teams maybe feel um, not relieved, but because I, I think that there were a lot of teams that already were going to steer clear of him. But now, you know, he's he's basically saying, don't, you know, don't draft me. I think I need to, to work on things. And I think he's right. He does. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of skeptics that will say this is a PR move, and I think that there's certainly some validity to to that. Uh, the Athletic reported that the, the the woman in question, the victim of this criminal act, was um, does not forgive Mayu, has not felt like she's received an ample apology from him. 
Um, and so I'd say that that's obviously an important step that needs to be taken in this process, the most important step that needs to be taken in this process. But, um, you know, I think that the, the, the fact is, is that Mayu technically is still eligible for the draft. The team still could potentially pick him. Um, he will be eligible next year as well. So I don't know exactly what will happen. I think it's far less likely now that he'll be picked. I do think that there was a strong possibility he would have been picked, albeit later in the draft. Um, still, uh, he did pay a fine. Um, so the matter is resolved legally, but it is certainly not resolved in, in the larger sense. And one of the things I think I mentioned this on, on the Hockey Sense substack as well that you know this is a, a tremendous reminder for for players and for organizations that there needs to be a much more concerted effort on um you know sexual conduct in terms of uh you know high school junior um college i mean we know if you're if you've been around athletes in general if you've been around human beings there's a lot of bad stuff that goes around and, and that people do. And, and it's particularly, it can be particularly prevalent in the team environment because it's always so kind of consolidated to that group and they, you know, they do things together. And I think that there needs to be a much more concerted effort on all leagues, all teams, all organizations to say, we need to educate this. And it can't be put in the context of here is how it will affect your hockey career. It's like, here is how you can impact negatively another human being's life. You know, I mean, the 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 fact that, that this has happened and it's uh, the Mayu situation, not an isolated incident. You know, there have been plenty of other hockey players that have been accused, charged, um, and in some cases uh, jailed for, for sexual misconduct. And that is something that you have to really drill down if you're a team to, to say, Hey, this needs to stop. And you are in a position to affect change. Now there's a chance that, that Mayo didn't really think what he was doing was wrong. And there's it, but it is and 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 you need, and these players need to know that they need to know it before it happens. And um, certainly in terms of, you know, advice on consent, getting, impact you know impact statements from from victims so that they understand what this means and so this is a situation where the high profile it wouldn't have you know if if, if mayu was not draft eligible i don't think that we hear about this story and and but we need to we need to hear about it, it needs to be out there it needs to be discussed widely and it needs to be a, a learning lesson not just for mayu but for all the players um so that they understand the impact that this can have on other human beings, the impact that it will have on them and their careers is, 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 is secondary to that, but it is an, it is an important element to let them know, to put it in terms that they can understand that this is, this is not a good situation. So um, hopefully uh, for, for everyone's sake, Mayu gets the help that he needs. He said he's already been undergoing counseling and things like that. So he's taking steps now to atone for the actions. I do think that second chances are possible, um, but it's just a matter of is an NHL team willing to be the one that gives a second chance and should they give a second chance at this juncture? I'm not so sure. So that's another thing to, uh, to consider, but Anyway, we're going to also move on and stay with the NHL draft. And, and I do want to talk a little bit more 
about the Seattle Kraken. And so the Kraken did draft some prospects. So I wanted to get to that as well um, because they they have guys that will help them immediately. Um, but there were players that they, they didn't pick. And, and there's a question later that I'll get into. So I'll get into that later about the players that, that – that are kind of prospects they didn't pick. But I think some of the interesting picks, you know, Joey Decord from, from Ottawa. He's a young goaltender, played at Arizona State. Really, is t- his game has taken off in the last couple of years. I thought there was a, a good chance early in his collegiate career that he was not on a track to get an NHL contract, even though he was drafted by the Senators. So taken by the Kraken. De- the de facto number three, because they also ch- selected Vitek Vanacek from uh, from. Uh, the Washington Capitals. So I think that Vanacek's a little bit further ahead in his development. But, you know, one of those two guys, you get them more reps in the AHL level, particularly to Cord, give them more games, um, and you're going to get a lot out of them. And, and and the Kraken will be sharing an AHL team with um, with the, the – they're going to be with the Charlotte Checkers, so that'll be with uh, the, the Florida Panthers. So they're kind of sharing. So it, it, it's a bit of a unique dynamic. Uh, but you look at other guys that they they took, and Cole Lind from the Vancouver Canucks, a very intriguing prospect. Guy can really skate. He's got some offensive ability. He was a really outstanding WHL player. Still hasn't quite found his way um, to the same level at at the AHL level, but he's shown proof. You know, he's got some grit. He's got some you know some energy. Those are things that will will absolutely help him moving forward. Uh, Kale Fleury has kind of been up and down. Didn't play in the NHL this year. Um, I think he's kind of a tweener player. Um, you know, they did get also get Hayden Fleury. So they have Hayden and uh, Kale Fleury, the brothers, um, and, and two great dub names right there. And so that's good for the Kraken as well to have that youth and to have guys that still have a little bit of runway for their development. Um, you know, that's, that's important as well. And I think... Uh, some of the some of the other ones, uh, Alexander True is is one that I'm most intrigued by for for them. Uh, he hasn't been able to crack the San Jose Sharks lineup on a consistent basis, but has been a very good AHL player. He's a, you know he's a large he's a large man, uh, Alexander True is, and he and he can play a variety. You know he can be a center, he can be a wing, um, and you know he's also a former Seattle Thunderbird, so he knows he knows the the area well i was glad to see that that you know there was a bit of a nod to one of the local junior teams and you know i don't think that's why he was picked i think he was just a good option on on not a there weren't a lot of great options on san jose's um protect you know uh, uh, eligibility lists for this so but but true you know he's going to need a contract six foot five guy and last year did get in some nhl games Got in some NHL games the year before. Um, you know, he's only 24. There's still there's still a chance for him to, to round out and be a good depth guy. You know, 20 points in 27 AHL games last season with the Barracuda. And he did play for Denmark in the World Championship where he had two points in seven games. So I do think that's probably one of the ones that I'm most excited about. The other ones, you know, John Quenville, I think, is is really nothing more at this point than, a, than more of an AHL. Uh, if that, you know, could be a depth guy. Same with Carson Torinsky who is uh, more of a, a a depth player so that so the Kraken didn't necessarily get the high end prospects that that I think you know the that that the Vegas did I mean really you look back and Alex Tuck was one of the great picks you know and that was a kind of part of a side deal and they were able to get Alex Tuck 
and he's become such a huge part of the offensive attack in Vegas. And and, and the Kraken just weren't able to do that. And and Ron Francis even said that the GMs learned their lessons from the year before or from the, the last expansion draft, and they weren't willing to give up multiple players to just keep one, which I think is the smart strategy. And it was also smart for, for Francis to stick to his guns and say, this is what we want in order to avoid the players that that uh, that you have. So... So yeah, so there, there's at least stuff there, but then the Kraken, so now they have all, as of, as of this recording, they have seven picks in the draft. So all of their own picks, um, and they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll have the second overall pick in the, in the first round, they'll have the third pick in all the subsequent rounds. So there is a chance to still grab, you know, an impact player at one uh, or at two, and then also a, a, a higher end prospect or a, a, hot, a promising prospect in that very early portion of the second round. And we did dive into the second round on the most recent mock draft on Hockey Sense. So make sure you check that out. We will have uh, plenty more coming uh, around the draft, but that's one where you can you can kind of get an idea of what would at least be available to the Kraken there. So really excited to see what they do. I, I do think that the fact that they pick so many defensemen and they really have their blue line set for the next few years with some of the, you know, signing long-term contracts with Jamie Alexiak and, and Adam Larson, getting a guy like Carson Soucy, who I think will be a, a good long-term piece for them. Mark Giordano being, uh, being there as well, being a, 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 an outstanding, you know, potential captain for them and a guy that'll be there, even though he's on the older side, still very much one of the better defensemen in the NHL and a guy that you can rely on. So I do think that that changes the dynamic a little bit for the Seattle Kraken and not only a little bit, just because heading into the draft, because you don't draft for a need, but I do think the best player available to them is Matty Beniers, is the top center in this draft. We expect that, that Owen Power will go to the Buffalo Sabres should he not, then I think they would probably pick power. But but I think Matty Beniers makes a lot of sense for them. He's a guy that could potentially sign and play next season, or you leave him in Michigan, let him get another uh, another uh, year of development, and then bring him in. And, and And they do need centers. They don't have a great center core. Yanni Gord's going to be really good and um, you know and helpful. But do they have a true number one center on this roster? I don't think so. So that is going to be. Uh, very interesting to see how they address that. And I think that Matty Beneers is the best option for the Seattle Kraken to address that need. All right. Another thing that was on the most recent draft preview on Hockey Sense on Substack was risers and fallers. And, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm not going to give away all of them. You can go and read that. It is a free piece that you can check out on hockeysense.substack.com. But, you know, one of the guys that I am going to be watching most closely, and there will be a question about him later in the draft, but one of the guys I'll be watching most closely in the first round is where does Fabian Lassell go? And Lassell is a speedy Swede. He is one of the just really entertaining, skilled players in this draft, deadly on the rush, can make a lot of players miss. Um, but the compete goes in and out. I think that there's some concerns about how things ended up with him, you, you know, leaving for Lunda where he was uh, not getting promoted and going and, and playing professionally and only being okay there. And then, you know, he, he did go and he was outstanding at the under 18 world championship was a, was a key player for a team that won the bronze medal at that event. Um, but, you know, in those games against Canada, wasn't as much of a factor, uh, was a big factor in the game against the U.S., though. So, I mean, you know, it's just, 
you kind of you, you have to deal with the, the the inconsistencies there. But he's a guy where I feel like a lot of people agree that he is a top fifteen caliber talent, but they're not sure if it's worth taking him. If there's too much risk involved in that pick, so I'm I'm excited to look at that first round and and do I you know I think Lucelle very well could be you know available in the later you know the 20s range whereas you know people like me have them in the top 15 no question even Bob McKenzie's list has him in the top 15 but I've just been hearing enough rumblings that he could be slipping a little bit further um, than anyone and on the flip side of that I don't think there's been a faster and more dramatic riser in this draft class than Mason McTavish who very well could be a top five pick now um, he's a little bit outside of that on my personal board, but you know he he's he was fourth on McKenzie's or tied for fourth on McKenzie's. He has been um, you know a, a guy that I've heard a lot of chatter from NHL scouts. They just really love as a player. They love the the, the grit that he plays with, the fact that he has offensive tools. They're not as concerned about the skating, which is a, an area that needs improvement. Uh, but he plays with such energy, and, and he's got great hockey sense. He's got a good shot. He's got a good good passing ability you know just a lot of good instincts overall and that's a guy where you know i think i could see him going as early as three to anaheim and that would be very interesting because that changes a lot of the dynamic of the rest of that first round if mason mctavish goes in that range because then you're starting to wonder okay where does luke hughes go where does simon edmondson go where does william eckland go um who i think for me is just not terribly far behind maddie veneers for being the number three prospect in this draft and you know where do the goalies go does that change how detroit and columbus set things up you know if if mctavish is not there because i think that he has become the number two center now i've also heard other teams that are not quite sure that he's going to be a center uh that that feel like he's more likely to be on the wing that he's more likely to be uh you know he might not have the foot speed to be a center so that's the other thing and if you don't believe he's going to be a center then i don't think you're picking him in the top five so that's the that's the other thing that kind of crops in here but a lot of interesting things to look at as we head into the draft so now that i've talked i want to turn it over to the listeners and i got some great questions there's kraken related questions there's nhl draft related questions and um it allows us to get kind of in depth and go do a, a few things that i'm not quite going to be doing on the written side of the blog or on, on the Substack. so let's just dive right in and, and get to your questions starting right now all right, our first question comes from Eric, and it is, who were the prospect-type players you think the Kraken should have taken, and do you think their expansion draft gives any hints about who they might target in the draft? There's really only one prospect that I thought that they would take unless there was some sort of side, side deal, and that was Jake Bean, the defenseman from the Carolina Hurricanes who was exposed and um, they, they took Morgan geeky instead, which is not a bad pick. I don't think that there's really anything wrong with that. It, it looks more like a situational kind of, uh, a pick there where you're looking more for positional need. Um, and you know, the reason I think Bean is so intriguing is that he's just on the, the very beginning of his, you know, where his, his ascendance, I think as a player, um, he's been a really good AHL defenseman for the last two years. Um, hasn't really gotten an opportunity because he's buried on a depth chart. You know, it's not like this is a guy that, that is, um, you know, knocking on the door. I mean, really, and, and Bean did play 42 games 
um, in in the uh, in the NHL this season. So it's not like he's he wasn't given the chance, but he he is a guy that was buried on a depth chart. You know, forty eight points in the AHL two seasons last season um, or in 2019, 20, 44 points the season before. Um, and, and he, you know, has a history of production in the WHL as well. So, you, you know, you got a guy that has some good offensive ability and he's 23 years old, but you look at, at the way that they built their defense did the Kraken, and you've got Mark Giordano, Vince Dunn, Jamie Alexiak, Jeremy Lozon, Hayden Fleury, Curtis McDermott, Carson Soucy, and Gavin Bayreuther is all the left shot defensemen that they picked. They only had three right shot defensemen. Bean is also a left shot defenseman. You know, you start to wonder, will they go after a guy like Dougie Hamilton as a right shot guy? Because that's a, an area where they could really improve themselves. But I, I did think that they were going to gonna go with Bean. And I thought that, that that was a guy that could have been their Shea Theodore. Um, and not to the, the degree, I don't think that Bean quite has the upside that Shea Theodore did at the time that he was able to be acquired by uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. But, you know, Shea Theodore was... Uh, and is a, a high-quality offensive defenseman. I think that Jake Bean could find his way to something similar uh, to that. And I, I don't think that there is as much of a dynamic element on the Kraken blue line as it's been constructed so far. Um, you know, I think Bayreuther is going to be a, an AHL defenseman for them. Um, you know, Hayden Fleury has has never really, that that hasn't really materialized. Vince Dunn is certainly the guy that that, you know, if they keep him, uh, they still have to get him signed as a as a restricted free agent. Vince Dunn could be that more dynamic element on the back end. Not not necessarily that he's dynamic, but just he's he's got the ability to put up points. He's produced at, at the NHL level already and has shown some you know proclivity to get pucks to the net and and really could be a a fascinating player for them. But uh, you know I thought that Jake Bean was really one of those guys. The other interesting one was Kapo Kakinen, the uh, the goaltender from the Minnesota Wild. They chose to select Carson Soucy, uh, you know, who's a big defenseman and really fits into what they built on their blue line. They have a huge blue line um, with Soucy being another guy that just gives them great size and a, and a dynamic, uh, not a size dynamic, not a dynamic player because he's, you know, you're not getting a lot of offense out of him. So, you know, I think that there, I would have liked to have seen a, a more puck moving element, which is why I thought of Bean. And then also the one thing that, that I think with, with the Kraken's goalies, you know, Chris Drieger, is he going to be the, uh, you know, is he going to be a number one goalie long-term? Can he be the guy in Seattle? They believe he can. I don't know if there's enough of a body of work there for me to say, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Um, you know, and, and goalies are, are so, so it's such a volatile position, but I, I think that he's a very interesting player. But, you know, Kakanen might have given a bit more of a safety net in that regard because I don't necessarily see Vitek Vanacek or Joey Decord as long-term number one goalies in the NHL. I do think that they could be uh, good backups and guys that, that give you good spot starts and things like that. But I don't necessarily view them as at the same level as a Kapo Kakanen, who's been an AHL goalie of the year before and also looked pretty solid in, in his rookie season. Not, you know, there were, he, he tailed off and, and I think teams started to get a little bit more of a book on him and he's not the, you know, he's, he's a, he's kind of an average size goalie at six, two, uh, which sounds weird to say. And, and, you know, his numbers kind of started to dip as the season wore on. And, and obviously he seeded to Cam Talbot um, in the goaltending position, but that was one where I, I thought it could really go either way. I have no problem with Carson Soucy being the pick. I think that that's a stylistic fit for what they were trying to build on their blue line. 
Um, but but I'd say Bean and Cockenden were the two guys that I really thought would be um, Seattle Kraken when all was said and done. Uh, but to see them not, I think that's a benefit to their current teams with Carolina and Minnesota having a couple of young players that, that can really grow into more sizable roles for their organizations. All right, our next question is also Kraken-related, and it comes from Joseph. And he asks, have we been sold a false bill of goods regarding Ron Francis? <laughs> I think the, the lack of trades um, and the lack of movement uh, clearly, uh, the roster that they ended up with was not as good as what I think most of us expected them to get. Uh, they're still, you know, very much missing a number one center, which wasn't really necessarily going to be available to them. But had they, unless they could work a side deal of some kind, you know, they they have a, a I'd say a, a below average top six in general. Um, you know, you look at Jared McCann, Yanni Gord, Jordan Eberle, Mason Appleton, Jonas Donskoy, um, you know, maybe Colin Blackwell. Morgan Geeky, you know, like where, where do you, where exactly do you draw the line? I think that's, you know, goals could be a problem. Um, but I also think that this was part of the plan was basically, let's see what we can get on the trades. Let's not come off of our, of our ask. And, you know, it's been out there. Elliot Friedman reported that, you know, to, if, if Calgary wanted to keep Mark Giordano is going to cost them a first and third round draft pick, which is a, a high price for a guy that's, you know, at, at, on the tail end of his career or t- heading towards the tail end of his career. So I don't blame the, the Flames for not making the trade as hard as it was to lose um, uh, an important player in a franchise cornerstone in Mark Giordano. But uh, but I think that, that that just showed that that Francis was, was going to stick to his guns. The other thing that we don't know yet is how they're going to use the cap space that they have. They didn't bail out NHL GMs on bad contracts. There was a lot of talk of, should they take Tarasenko? Should they take Jeff Skinner? Should they take Carey Price? They didn't take any of those guys. And I think it's not because they maybe didn't like those players. It was because the con- they didn't like those contracts. And those would have been onerous contracts, any one of them to take on, especially with you know Tarasenko. We don't know what his shoulder is going to do. Jeff Skinner's taken a real step back in the last year um, and has a, a large ticket with a lot of term. And Carey Price, for as good as he was, we know now that he's he's got some injury issues. And $10.5 million as a cap hit is big for anybody, no matter how good you are. So clearly, cap space was the priority. Now they ha- now they can use that cap space in free agency. There are still some big fish out there that they could potentially go after. If they don't want to do that, it's not the worst thing in the world to be not a playoff team next year. Because Shane Wright will be part of that draft lottery. Um, and if you're in that mix, hey, that's not bad either. So I, I do think that they had an idea for what they wanted to do, but it was really going to be contingent on NHL GMs doing, you know, bending over backwards to make that work for them. And it they didn't do that. And, and they learned from the mistakes of Vegas. So we'll see what else comes out. Obviously, some of the players that they have, we've heard a lot of rumors. Frank Cervelli's reported that. Tyler Pitlick could be on the move as early as uh, Thursday. So um, there's certainly other things that can happen. I, I think that we're going to have to give this this front office a lot of time. There is a lot of brain power in there. I, I really like the front office that they built you know, because it's Francis at the top who's who's been in this role before and has, has really focused on building quality blue lines in each of his GM jobs. Because you look at what they had in Carolina, you look at what they have in the crack and, and, and clearly defense is the foundation of this team, um, the defensive core. So 
I think they succeeded in that regard. I do think guys like you know Jason Bottrell is going to help them maximize this this cap space. He's he's really good at that. Um, and also you're going to see uh, um, you know how the analytics staff really was involved in this process. So I think there are a lot of good voices in there, and I don't think it's I'd say it's way too early to to write off them at this point. And this is a similar question from Joshi on Twitter, and it's possible reasonings behind no trades. And I think it, it really boils down to this. Ron Francis had his price. He wasn't going to budge from it. If he didn't, then he was just going to take who was there. And, and and they didn't always go for the best player available. You look at, like, say, Columbus, who had three first-round draft picks, and Max Domi was exposed. A lot of people said, hey, maybe they're going to get Max Domi. They ended up taking Gavin Bayreuther, who's essentially a career AHL or a very good AHL defenseman, a guy that's an AHL veteran. And you need players like that in your system. You need to have good veterans in the AHL. You're not blocking young players. You're helping them. You're making, by having guys that have played professional hockey at that high level for that long, you're giving them a chance to, you know, finish the plays that those young players are making. Um, you know, I talked to an AHL head coach not terribly long ago, and he just said, "We, you know, we need to have veterans in the AHL because they're going to know how to make the plays that the players, are, the, the young players with all that extra skill, are trying to set up. Um, whereas other young players may not be able to read the game that way." Um, and I thought that was so, such an insightful thing, and that's why you saw, I think, Gavin Bayreuther as a selection, um, and also Columbus didn't have an amazing protected list but there were guys like dean kukin and and others that you could potentially have have seen on that final roster for seattle that wasn't the way that it went so uh but i i think that the reasoning was simply that that ron francis set a high price and wasn't going to move from it and if he didn't get it he was just gonna you know take what was available to him that that made sense financially and then go and see what they can do with the cap space so i I think that that's going to be um really the story of that that whole whole thing so all right we're gonna move on to the 2021 nhl draft and i've got a couple of questions from mvp 96 and uh peter asks if you had to place a bet on who will be the best player out of your top 10 rank top uh, best player in the next 10 years would you take owen power or the field well i would take the field but only because the field is a lot more players. So um, the, the the probability is higher that somebody will end up being better. I do think that to me right now, as I look at this class, Owen Power is the best player, is the guy I think will have the best career. However, when you add 10 other players or 13 or 14 other players and you take the field, there's a better, you know, the higher probability is that one of those players is going to accelerate in their development is going are going to surpass power and others and be the best player in this draft 10 years down the road but i do think it's not just about safety or making the safe pick i do think that owen power has the most potential to be the best nhl player in this class and mvp also asks didn't really ask he basically told me rank your top 10 for this year's draft on upside alone and that was that was a that was quite a demand. But since this isn't something that I've written on hockey sense, I'll share it here, and and you can read more about some of these players. But I think, you know, in terms of pure upside, it's still for me Owen Power. I believe will be the best NHL player in this draft, which is why he's number one, and that's why I believe he has the most upside. Right after him, it goes down to Luke Hughes. I think Luke Hughes has 
He's, he's one of the youngest players in this draft. He has incredible skating ability. He's got great foundation of skills. If he gets stronger um, or as he gets stronger, because that's one of the more thi- that's one of the things that you can more easily project is that these players will get bigger. They will get stronger. They will become more physically mature. Um, I think that that's one of the things that he needs to just to get that little element of, of his game next. And he's got good, good scoring ability. He's got the ability to make reads and passes high end hockey sense. I think, you know, his age, that upside is incredibly high right after him. It, it goes down to Simon Edvinson and Edvinson to me is a project and there's, there's more risk involved in Edvinson than the two previous defensemen. I think there's less of a likelihood that he reaches his ceiling because there's a lot of work to be done. But if he does, he has the potential to be an elite defenseman in this, in the NHL, his skating is fine. You know, it's, he can probably get a little bit more burst in his skating. His offensive game needs to come along more. He's not as offensively talented as, as Luke Hughes is or Brant Clark or others like that. So I think that that's where I see a, a lot of potential, but Edvinson, if he he's crafted, he's got that size profile. He can do a lot of things really well. Um, after that, I think, you know, it, it comes down to uh, the goaltenders. I think Jesper Wallstedt and Sebastian Kosa have really high ceilings. Um, and they also have a lot of risk because of the general risk that comes with goalies. But I do think that those two guys have the potential to be among the best players in this draft. I think both have number one goalie upside where we have a lot of guys in this draft that have fringe top four upside, fringe top six upside. You know, so I think if you have a starting goaltender, that's really where the, the, the potential comes in for me. I think that that's where those two guys have, have super high ceilings. Up next after that, it's William Eklund, and I think he's one of the more dynamic players in this draft. I think his ability to um, read plays and the vision that he has uh, are, are elite. I, I really do. I think he's got he, he reads the game so well, and he's got quickness. He's not the biggest guy, so I think that that's part of you know the, the hesitancy on putting him ahead of some of those other guys. I think size does matter in terms of ceiling projections because these guys we know they're going to get stronger, but we also have to kind of look at and see um, you know how it, how will they be able to play at the next level? And I, I still think that Eklund is going to be just fine. He played in Sweden this year with men and looked great, and I think that he is a guy that has some of that tremendous upside. So I think we're up to. Um, uh, six players already here um, or five players. I I'm losing count. So, so I'll, I'll leave it at the top five because, but I, I mean, I think, you know, up next you got Gunther. I like LaSalle. I like, you know, some of the guys like that. I think it Daniil Cheka has a real high ceiling as well. I didn't think he had a great year this year in Russia, but I don't think I'm writing him off, but he's a guy that's kind of towards the end of my board. Um, you know, those are some of the guys. So, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't meet all of your demands MVP 96, but I think that we got a good idea of kind of what looks, what it looks like, but, uh, at the top of this draft. And, and certainly you could throw Brent Clark into the mix just because of that high end hockey sense. And the fact that we do think that his skating will improve to a certain degree. It's just that when you have a fun foundational flaw in your game, um, and if it's skating, if it's hockey sense, if it's hands, you know, those are the those are the things where I'm saying, okay, if you don't have one of those things, and I have to bank on you improving them, then I don't feel comfortable picking you in the top five. That's kind of where I'm at. But and and, and I wouldn't feel comfortable picking either the goalies in the top five because of the risk associated with it. But I still think the upside exists on those players that uh, that that kind of fits the the question that was asked. So thank you, MVP, for your multiple questions, and I was happy to answer both of them. Uh, this one comes from Jan Yenik, fan club leader, and I appreciate the question. If a team is trying to acquire additional first-round picks, do you think it would be better to target this draft or the next? 
And I, I've answered this question before, but I did now that we're closer to the draft and now that we know that the Kraken didn't get any draft picks for this year, I do think that there is a, a higher need and likelihood that, you know, that they, it, it really just depends on who's available during the draft. We're close enough now where we have an idea of, of kind of who's going to go where. And so if there are teams that feel like there's a guy in a range that they can get, um, you know, getting those, those additional first round picks now on players that you've got really good books on, it certainly makes sense. But if, you know, if you're looking at next year's draft, it would not hurt, you know, to, to get that. I think if we're too far out and we lost too many games this year to really determine who the best underage players were this season, guys that weren't eligible for the NHL draft, but we do know guys like Shane Wright will be there. Brad Lambert, Matthew Savoy, um, you know, uh, Ivan Rashashenko, like those are players that could be potential franchise altering players if they hit all those things, but we, they still have a long way to go. So I do think that there's a, a, there's an increased level of value on next year's picks, especially as you look later in the draft. Um, you know, there's a little less n- known, but, um, if you have a player that's available that you want in this year's draft and it, it Make that draft day trade if you feel it's necessary because it's hard to find guys that the teams are super passionate about this year. This next one comes from Eric, and he asks, William Eklund seems to be rising up the boards and may not be at six for Detroit. At one time, people were comparing him and Dylan Gunther, yet he never seems to be mentioned for the Red Wings pick. For a team in desperate need of skill, could Gunther fit the bill? I think either of those two guys would be great if they if they last that long, and there's certainly a chance that they could. I, I mean, I I really don't know what the Ducks and um and, and the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to do. So there is a a a I would say it's even likely that one of Eklund or Gunther will be there for the Red Wings at number six. Um, and if you get either of those players, what you get is probably some of the best offensive upside in, in this draft among among forwards. And, you you know, you say, well, I think if the Red Wings, let's say Mason McTavish is there, I think they prefer him over those two guys. But at the same time, I think that Eklund and Gunther give them that dynamic element they need to continue to build in their system. And so um, Eklund in particular, to me, feels more safely projectable. I think he does a little bit more, um, but Gunther is right there. I think that, you know, Eklund can be more of a play driver where I think Gunther is more of a finisher with a great shot, good passing ability. Um, so, you know, I think that if if the Red Wings are able to get either one of those players, it's a, it's a very solid get for their for their program. You know, I, I still think that there's the, the off chance that they go for one of the goaltenders for reasons that I just mentioned is that, you know, they may have some of the highest upside in this draft. If you think one of them is going to be a number one goalie, how much risk are you willing to take? And I think passing, one of the reasons why I don't have them taking a goalie in my mock drafts, I think it's a little too risky and he, for for even somebody as bold as Steve Eiserman to pass on one of these two players to take a goaltender. But we will find out. All right, our next question comes from Kalina H. And this is a Hockey Sense subscriber. So we thank you for your subscription, Kalina. Um, the question is, sorry to bring up a player who wasn't on your list, but on the subject of value picks, do you see Miguel Torini, Torini as a potential good pick in the later rounds as an overager? He seems to have a lot of good tools, but I haven't seen many people talk about him. Yeah, that's I love these questions that get into the weeds because it does allow us to talk about players. You know, we 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 in this when we're talking about the draft, we tend to focus so much on the first round and and some players get lost in the mix, but Torinier is a really interesting 
player. Um, he's a 19 year old, February 2002 birth date. He's a five foot eight defenseman, right shot defenseman, very offensively gifted. He had 36 points in 32 games for Blainville Boybriand this season, um, and also had eight points in the playoffs. He's a goal scoring defenseman as well. So, very interesting player. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time on him, but some of the things that have happened since. Um, he was invited to Hockey Canada's camp for the World Junior Team. And that's, I mean, they left off some pretty good defensemen, guys that helped him win a gold medal at the World Under-18s this year. And sure, he's, you know, he's be on the older side and you want to have that. And you certainly want to have some of that element there and in, in, in the... Uh, uh, on the on the blue line, especially since there is a dearth of right shot defensemen for Hockey Canada, only um, five, including Tourinier and Camp, and he's a really interesting player. I think you know the size profile. It certainly suggests he's going to be drafted. If he's going to be drafted, it'll be late. Um, he could be a guy that you know you see one of those organizations that really doesn't care much about size. Take a chance on him. Um, you know to look at kind of what he did, but I, I thought it, that's a, such a good player to bring up for this, for this exercise and looking at him. Um, I think he does have a chance to be drafted. He's not a name that I've heard bandied about too much, but I think that his inclusion on hockey Canada's roster for the world junior camp is no small thing. I really do believe that that is going to be an important thing um, that, that teams are going to look at and say, you know, well, what, you know, if, if nothing else, it gives them a reason to go back and take another look if they didn't have a good enough book on him already. But, you know, if you look at the stats, you know, two guys that are NHL draft picks are ahead of him in the scoring in among defensemen, U19 defensemen in, uh, in the QMJHL. And that's Jeremy Poyer, who was, uh, drafted by the, uh, the Calgary Flames and Lucas Cormier as well, who had a, an incredible season, a breakout season for Charlottetown this year. Um, and he was a late round or mid round, I should say, uh, draft pick last year and in, in of, of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And that to have Trinier be, you know, one of three defensemen with over a point per game, and, and especially since he had 15 goals, one fewer than Cormier, I do think that he's going to get a longer look and that'll definitely help him and help his cause for being drafted. I, you know, I didn't list him. So, you know, that just tells you my sense is that I didn't necessarily see a player that I felt strongly enough to, to put him on the top 100 on my list. But I think as a, as a value pick, Karina or Kalina, you have a great, uh, a great idea there. And I think that some teams will absolutely be doing their due diligence on him this season all right so let's get back to our questions now from twitter we again thanks kalina for getting that always uh enjoy seeing the the questions coming in from my subscribers but we'll head on back over to um uh, the uh the questions from twitter and here's an interesting one from connor if owen power was five foot eleven where would he go in this draft well I like the question because, you know, we, we're playing these hypotheticals, but and it also allows us to talk about size because obviously, as a six foot five defenseman, doing the things that Owen Power does, you grade it on a certain curve, right? You know, I think when you say he does this well for a big player, well, he does things well for any size player. Let's 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 say that right now. 
Um, but the fact that he does all the things that he does in the six foot five frame that he's still tacking strength and power onto, uh, no pun intended, but he's still tacking strength onto that frame. Owen Power is is uh, kind of a rare commodity. He has a chance to be one of the biggest players ever selected, number one overall. Um, and and so it just goes to show you that size doesn't always necessarily matter. But if say he's the same level of defenseman at a five foot eleven, he'd still be a first round draft pick. Would he go number one overall? Probably not. But I think that he does all those things well. Now he's not a super offensively skilled guy in terms of what we view the offensive defenseman as. But his two way skills are such that it gives you a great sense of his ability to produce at the next level. He didn't have a high point total this year. And I think this has been harped on so often. And it seems to be the reason that, you know, you'll see power on a lot of public lists that, that where he's not number one. Um, and then you talk to most scouting staffs and almost universally, not, not a hundred percent, but almost universally, he is the number one guy. And I think it's because that size package does matter in that he has all of these other skills on top of it. He has hockey sense. He has skating ability. He has all the tools that you need. So that when you have that in that size player, size does matter at that point. And you can't discount it. So, um, and I think what, you know, if you're, if you're a bigger player, we say this all the time. If you're a bigger player, you have to prove that you can't play. If you're a smaller player, you have to prove that you can. Um, I think that Owen Power has more than proved that he can play. Um, and, and there's really no noticeable red flag aside from maybe he needs a little more dynamic element in his offensive ability to be a producer at the next level. But I, I mean, he defends well, he makes great passes. He gets pucks out of the zone. He gets pucks into the zone. He jumps into plays. Well, he can be physical every, and he just continues to improve. I mean, the beginning I've said this many, many times, and I'll say it again. Now Owen powers, beginning of the season to the end of the season was one of the better better showcases of improvement of a number one draft pick that I've seen in a while you know like we knew Alexi Lafreniere was what he was and he kind of stayed that way all year and same thing with Jack Hughes we we knew those things and, and and other players like them but Owen Power has shown not just that he's a good player but he's a player that continues to improve so I think it's an interesting question, though. If he was 5'11", I, I, I'll tell I'm not afraid to say it. He, he would not go number one. But because he's a 6'5 player and does all the things that he does, he's going number one. Good question, though. I like that. Thank you, Connor, for, for that thought exercise. Um, this one comes from Joe on Twitter. Sort of a hot take here and not really a question. That's fine. But I think Fabian LaSalle ends up being the best player from this draft class. Well, it's a bold statement for sure. Uh, and I think that it's one that is at least grounded in some level of, you know, uh, I would say logic in the fact that there are not many players like Fabian LaSalle in this draft class. Uh, his his speed, his skill, his transitional play, all really important. Um, I think, you know, he, he can play with energy, but, you know, the one thing that I think is is the risk factor there is that you know he's he's not a big guy he's he's a little on the lighter side he you know he doesn't make plays off the boards real well he doesn't make plays down low real well he's much more of a transitional 
kind of player, which is which is totally fine. I mean, I think that he's got to develop those things, but that's why I think there's a lot more risk and why I think he's kind of dropping a bit on some of the boards is that, you know, his his ability to play with pace is unrivaled in this class, but it's what else is there? There needs to be more to it than that. I'm still very high on him. I think he's a top 15 pick. I think that he's he's done a lot of things, but there's a, some questions about, you know, does he create well enough for others? Does he do try to do too much on his own? Is he knocked off the puck too easily? Is he going to give you the same level of work ethic game in, game out? And the answer is it's really unclear. And it's it, it's hard to say. And you look at his statistical profile this year, 13 points in the U20 league in 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 uh, Sweden in 11 games. It's not bad numbers, but it's also not incredible numbers. I mean, you know, he's over a point per game. That's that's fine. Three goals, 10 assists. But then he went to the SHL for Lulia and had three points, you know, showed flashes and glimmers of what he can be, had a really good under 18 world championship where he's playing against his peers. So you expect him to play better there. And you know, he, it's not out of the question that he becomes the best player in this draft because I think that there's a lot of things that we've talked about already where where development happens and you have to learn from that. And uh, and and you have to understand that, that what we see now in these players is not what they will be. So I think that that's going to be something uh, quite interesting to, to follow. Uh, he's one of the most intriguing players. He is one of the players I'll be watching closest on draft day to see where he ends up going. I think it could be later than we expect just because of the, the little chatter that I've been hearing. I, I There's also the chance that maybe, I, I don't think he'll be a top 10 pick, but would he go to where the Blackhawks are selecting in the, the de facto 11-12, you know, with the forfeited um, Coyotes pick? You know, like that's a place where he could conceivably go. So... Not out of the question there. So I, I like I like when people make bold statements. I, I think you got to have some confidence. I think it, your opinion on that is is totally valid because he is a guy that I think has a tremendous amount of upside and a, and a guy that I really can't wait to see where he ends up going. The next one comes from Spencer, and he asks, who is the best Samuskevich? <laughs> and that is a great question because if you don't know about the Samuskevich family, they are... Uh, full of high-end hockey players. And the one that we're talking about for the NHL draft is, of course, Mackie Samuskevich. Full name is Matthew, but he goes by Mackie. And um, he he has two incredible hockey-playing sisters. And uh, their names are Madison and Melissa. And Madison is Mackie's twin. And so she is a, a high-end player. Both Melissa and, Ma- and Madison have been involved in U.S. national teams at the younger ages. Um, and, uh, Maddie is headed, uh, to, or she played this year for Quinnipiac and, uh, and went to, uh, they all went to Shattuck St. Mary's, you know, obviously a factory for both men's and women's hockey. Uh, Madison did get on that, that women's national under 18 team a few years ago and, uh, and got a silver out of that. And, you know, and, and Melissa is also an incredible player. She's already played professionally, played in the NWHL. Um, you know, has been in the national team system before. She did play in a women's world championship in 2019, played in two women's world under 18 championships. She was a captain at Quinnipiac um, back in uh, 2018, 19 and 2017, 18, a two-year captain there and uh, played for uh, the Brenes women's team and in the the Swedish uh, women's hockey league 
and has uh, has played some games in the PWHPA as well. So a really awesome family. I, you know, if I had to guess, I know Spence, Spencer is a huge women's hockey fan, and I know that Spencer is going to have a better idea uh, than me. But I mean, you, I think you have to go with Melissa at this point because she's got that world championship gold medal. She is 24 years old. She's uh, she's a, she's a coach. She's an assistant coach now at Penn State University uh, for the women's hockey team, and you know was slated to play for the Connecticut Whale and and got the coaching opportunity and, and took that. And um, certainly excited for for her. And you know she did not make the uh, the women's national team for the um, for the centralization for the Olympics, um, but you know maybe that's uh, maybe that's where Madison uh, comes in and and finds a way to. Uh, uh, to, to get in there and, and maybe maybe live that dream but uh, really accomplished family uh, they're all from Newtown Connecticut as well um, uh, or the Newtown area and, and you know have have deep ties to Sandy Hook and um, you know Scott Wheeler wrote a piece on the athletic that I thought was was really great of about that family and the bond that the the, the sisters and and brother have and uh, Mackie has a real good chance to go in the first round of the draft this year um, it's not a guarantee. I think that, you know, there's a, a possibility he slips into the second round. He can, he can be a bit of a polarizing player, but one of the more skilled guys that you're going to find, uh, has good speed. I've, I've really liked his game. I thought, you know, this year he dealt with some injuries and other things and, and, and missed some time, but he's another one of those guys that's headed to the university of Michigan. And, and just, you know, you think about the wagon that that team could be next year. Uh, pretty, pretty impressive. And I, and I should note, you know, now if he goes in the first round, he would be the second first round draft pick in his family because, uh, um, uh, Melissa was a number two overall selection of the Connecticut whale in the 2018 NWHL draft. So, um, yeah, so very accomplished family. Uh, and, and I think a, a group of people that you want to root for because they seem like really nice people. And, um, I don't know the family personally, but I've heard really great things, about them and about Mackie, uh, you know, is for this draft and certainly his sisters. So, um, great question. Great to talk a little bit of women's hockey. And, and just as a side note, thank you, Spencer, for bringing it up the women's national team for the uh, 2021 delayed women's world championship, which will be played in Calgary, was announced on um, uh, on Thursday. And so that roster is now known and uh, very excited to uh, to see. That group, they've got a lot of veteran talent, a lot of Olympians on that roster, but a lot of newcomers. And and one of the players that I'm most excited to see on the national team, I've said it before, and I'll say it here, Abby Rock, uh, who who had such a sensational run in the um, women's war, uh, pro uh, PWHPA showcases uh, and the Dream Gap tour. I, I cannot wait to see what she looks like with a with a USA jersey on. I think that her skill level and and her tenacity are just going to be. Uh, just what the doctor ordered for this team, especially in the wake of losing players like the the Lamaru twins and uh, Casey Bellamy and, and and such veteran players that that really give you a lot. So uh, very excited to see uh, that all go. So hockey, it's it's hockey all summer, folks, um, because uh, we've got that that World Championship coming up after not long after we have our um, our 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 NHL draft. So. Um, and again, that that cha- that world championship will be August twentieth through thirty first. All right, we're gonna keep things rolling along here. And this one comes from Sean. Hi, Chris. If the Blackhawks don't go with one of the goalies, I would like to see them pick Brennan Othman. Would it be a stretch at twelve or you know eleven defective with the forfeited pick from Arizona? I really like what he brings. Plus, he he as he's shown, he can play with top talent. Thanks for the content. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Sean. Very nice, uh, 
nice compliment. And yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting uh, question. And and Othman is is certainly a guy that turned heads at the World Under 18s. He played relatively well in the Swiss League, uh, playing with men. Um, you know, not he, he's 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 got some some deficiencies in his in his skating, but really he's been a top guy for a long time um, in this age group, and that you know goes back to. Years ago, when he was playing with with uh, Brant Clark uh, on the Don Mills Flyers team, that was one of the greatest youth hockey teams that I think we've seen in, in a long time. But Othman is uh, he's a goal scorer, you know, and and he they had him playing with Brant Clark uh, at uh, and Dylan Gunther at at the World Under 18s, and that is an important thing to be able to show that you can play with with top end players. It's way easier said than done, I think, and. Othman proved at that tournament that he's among the elite players in this draft class, which, which, you know, I think he would have done had he been able to play in the, in the OHL this year. And, and he's a guy that he, he can score. I mean, you look at his numbers for Flint, he had 33 points in 55 games. I think it was actually a little bit underwhelming compared to the hype that he had coming into that season because of how good he was with that Don Mills team. And really, you know, he was, he was a, a, a high pick, in the in the draft, he was the number two overall pick in the OHL draft. I mean, it, by Flint, and and I think that he's got a guy that he's he's a guy that just can really fire the puck. Um, good release, heavy shot, good uh, good one timer as well. Um, you know, he had six points at the World Under 18s, where he was having to be more of a, a complimentary player. And I think that's the difference between Brennan Othman and some of the other guys, and why I think he might be a little bit of a reach at 11. I think that the he, he, he's more of a complimentary guy. He's more of that finisher. I don't think you're going to see him driving play. He's going to need a better center to help feed him pucks and things like that. You know, I think that that's something that you have to consider, you know, good size as he gets stronger, he's going to have a little bit more power in his game. You know, he's going to shoot better. Um, you know, and, and he did, he had a nice season, 16 points in 34 games with Alton this season, um, two points in the playoffs. And then of course, as I mentioned, going to the world under 18s, winning gold with Canada, um, but I think if you're in that top 15 range, Othman probably could sneak in there. But I think if you're Chicago, you're wanting to get a little bit more bang for your buck. I feel like you need a little bit more pizzazz. And that could be LaSalle, could be Matthew Coronado, who had 48 goals a season in, in uh, the USHL and, and was uh, an absolute menace in that league. Um, you know, it could be... As you said, if you know, we could be one of the goalies. We don't know yet, but if assuming it's not, you know, I think then you start looking, and, and maybe it is Othman or, or somebody like that. So, uh, very interesting question there, and and I, I enjoy uh, enjoy that one. All right, so that that is the end of the questions. If I missed your question, please circle back to me, and we will be doing a draft recap. Uh, coming up very, very soon. So I really am looking forward to covering the draft once again on. Substack live coverage on Friday night. It'll be there the day after as well. So you can certainly check that out. But if you want coverage during the draft, I highly recommend you hang out with me. I'll be sharing a lot on Twitter. I'll be providing links on Twitter. We'll certainly be talking a lot about it. I'll be following the draft the entire time. And then next week I'll be in Plymouth for the world junior camp where we'll see Sweden, Finland, and the U S you can catch that on HockeyTV.com. It is a subscription-based uh, thing, but if you want to see some of the most recent drafted prospects, it'll be a great early look before they start 
splintering off and going to their various camps and getting ready for junior seasons and trying out for the NHL team. So a lot of uh, a lot a lot to come. And and just remember, if we've got mock drafts, we've got the the extra analysis. So please do subscribe to Hockey Sense on Substack. That's HockeySense.substack.com. Only six dollars for a monthly subscription. That'll get you coverage for the entire draft and beyond. And then you go, you know, if you want to keep, keep going, you can, or you can cancel. It's really up to you at that point. You can also get an annual subscription for $54 and save three months. It's up to you, but I hope that you'll check it out because I've had a lot of fun doing it. It's a completely one, 100%. When I say completely 100%, I'm being redundant on purpose. It is that much uh, that you are helping me. It is a completely subscriber supported venture. So I cannot thank you all enough for joining me for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. Can't wait to cover the draft. Come check us out on Hockey Sense. We will be there, and we will be looking forward to providing all the great content that you crave. And, boy, I am really excited. Hope you are, too. We'll see you on Friday, and we will talk to you next week on Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris, and we'll catch you next time.